0: Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. Well, today I have the privilege of introducing you to a friend of mine, Dr. Ramish Richard. He is Professor of Global Theological Engagement and Pastoral Ministries at Dallas Theological Seminary. He is also the founder and president of Ramesh Richard Evangelism and Church Health, sometimes just called REACH with two R's in the front, which is a wonderful global proclamation ministry seeking to evangelize leaders and strengthen pastors really all over the world. He's ministered in more than 100 countries. He's spoken to the prayer breakfast of the United Nations, which brought together ambassadors and leaders of more than 200 countries. God has used Dr. Ramesh Richard in a marvelous way as one of the articulate, thoughtful, compassionate voices of the gospel for our time. We are so honored to have you with us, Dr. Richard. Thank you for giving us this time today. Thank you, Dean George. And uh, I so appreciate the opportunity
1: be- to be here on the campus of Beeson the last couple of days. And thank you for saying all this that you've just finished saying. I, I remember uh, Churchill putting down Clement Attlee, and this may come across as false humility. So, He's
0: <laughs> a modest man with much to be modest about. So. LAUGHTER Well, I would say you're a humble man, and uh, your humility— Very few of us left. (laughs) But uh, now, I got the privilege of knowing you by participating a little bit in your ministry uh, at Dallas several years ago. Uh, Say a little bit about that ministry. It's unique to my perspective. I could describe it, but I'd rather you say what what you're doing there. Oh, thank you. Because
1: of the rapid growth of the church in Asia and Africa and Latin America, and the need— For the training of pastors in large numbers, as well as the connection of the future leader of the Christian faith, we came upon a model to bring one pastor per country for three weeks to the campus of Dallas Theological Seminary that reach ransom and uses in this wonderful partnership between formal and non-formal pastoral training. And uh, we call it the Global Proclamation Academy because the primary focus of those three weeks is to help younger pastors uh, to be connected, united, and strengthened, especially in the areas of preaching, living, and thinking biblically. They are in the mid 30s, they are the primary shepherds in the congregation. Uh, They have to speak English so that they can understand one another. They have a vision for pastoral training and multiplication and also have connection with 10 other pastors anywhere. We bring master coaches from all across the country and beyond, especially presidents and deans of theological seminaries and institutions like Beeson. And under the thinking biblically rubric is where we had the joy and the honor of having you, Dean George, to participate in that particular year or two that I remember uh, to which you came and contributed so deeply across. And the great thing about uh, this group is that they come for a once-in-a-lifetime experience, and then we keep them facilitated and connected into the future so they truly become brothers and and uh, share life and the future together. Uh, we want them to be friends for the next 20 years.
0: I remember there were 25, one from each different country.
1: Correct. They're just one per country, so they don't form into their own cliques. And we seat them intentionally in different seats every day, And we give them opportunities for telling the stories, which are powerful. They have prayer times. They have play times. And then, of course, um, through our global facilitation and networking, they uh, share life. They share problems, their pathologies, their needs, their vision. And they encourage one another in Christ. And they become some of the thickest friends that
0: we could imagine and and into the future for the next uh, 20, 30 years. It's a wonderful model of pastoral training, global pastoral training, and I commend you for it. God gave you this vision, and it's just a tremendous outreach. Now, I wonder if you would take a few minutes and tell us a little bit about your own background, how you became a Christian. Uh, You were from India originally. Yes. Tell us about that. About 200
1: uh, Fifty years ago, East German missionaries brought the good news to my forefathers in southern India. They, they were Lutheran missionaries, and uh, in this year of the Reformation, some of those uh, matters become even more meaningful uh, during this anniversary year. And they came with uh, no uh, great flash, and, and, and the only intent was to reach into people's lives. My forefather then was... Uh, a fanner in the king 's court, and, like many at that time, was a temple priest. He embraces the gospel and trusts himself, the Lord Jesus, and starts off an advantage for the rest of us who would follow and One of the two burdens that I carry for the world in terms of evangelizing leaders, I call them opinion leaders, be people of influence and affluence who are found in the major sector of business and professions and government and entertainment and education. Uh, he was such a man because he had the king's ear like a Nehemiah or a Daniel or a Joseph or an Esther. And we uh, trace back that particular burden. I would not have had the advantage that I do have uh, without him having to come to know Christ. Right after the Berlin Wall fell, I had the privilege of being in Chemnitz, previously called karl Marxstadt, mm. with about 700 uh, younger East German uh, young people, I told them that I was coming back to return the compliment of what (laughs) Germany had done to my forefathers in in giving us the gospel. So that is on the evangelism side, how that was generated. Uh, I came to know the Lord Jesus personally uh, because my parents, who had nominal Christian backgrounds, uh, became believers during my very, very young years. And my mother thought we four siblings were her uh, mission field and through the wordless book many of you might remember that <laughs> i still remember the event i was probably 7 or 8 years of age when when
0: i transferred my heart and trust to the lord jesus as my only god and savior now you work in a very uh Interdenominational way. You work with people across all confessions and denominations focused on Jesus Christ, on the scriptures, on the Word of God and the gospel. Yes. Say a little bit about that in terms of the witness of the church in the world today. Uh, this is um, something that we had to
1: intently work on under the larger rubrics of what I'm going to call evangelical conviction. And with the presence of the World Evangelical Alliance Doctrine Statement and the Lausanne Covenant. We're able to cover the you know, 600 million or so evangelicals around the world. And if anybody could sign to those, we are happy uh, not to be as narrow as a theological seminary needs to be, and for great good reasons. Uh, but because we are a non-formal initiative, we are happy to work across the whole spectrum uh, from Presbyterian to Pentecostal convictions. As you know, 70% of the world church would fall within the charismatic Pentecostal growth uh curve, and they're among the most zealous and gracious and yet desirous of the kind of depth and training uh, that they need and they understand they need in order for good health of the church in addition to the growth of the church. We all know that growth without health is cancer, whether in the human body or Christ's body, and they realize it and all of us realize it, so we're able to provide the right platforms for across the body of Christ under the great solace of the Reformation, expanded in the Lausanne Covenant and the world of Lyon's Statement of Faith uh, to embrace them, to encourage them, to equip them, and then unleash them.
0: If I may say so, uh, I think this is very much in keeping with the Reformation understanding of the church itself. It's yes. not a new or different understanding. They Talk wanted, to me a little
1: bit more about that. You're the expert here on that
0: Well, one. they wanted to get back to the gospel. Uh, that's why the Sola Scriptura was so important. It was not a new doctrine, but they wanted to recover that doctrine that goes all the way back to the New Testament and the scriptures, and so that God's people could come together for a united witness. Now, the fact that we have a fractured church means we still have a lot of praying to do, <laughs> a lot of work <laughs> to do. We're not there yet. But Jesus' prayer for his church in John seventeen twenty uh, is still very much, I think, our prayer today, that the Heavenly Father would draw his disciples together to be one, as he and the Father are one, so that the world might believe. So it has a missional focus to it. I, I could listen to you all throughout
1: this podcast <laughs> and, and way beyond. But for example, in Lagos, Nigeria, there are 4,000 denominations, not churches denominations, because everybody wants to start something new, is upset with this bishop or his archbishop, just goes and starts in his unique, distinct uh, slice and nuance that we only meet on Sunday nights rather than Sunday mornings, so we are a denomination by ourselves. So how could we do something that in the conviction of of, of scripture, which made the gospel and the Bible available to all people, but also emphasized the vocational calling of the laity. The biggest trend today, right now, is what I'm going to call bivocational pastors mm. who are both uh, in ministry but are funded by their own initiatives, either in business or in professions. God has called them, God has gifted them, and placed them. So if we can get them just a little bit of training, of skills and tools, relationships that they need, the the church may become a bit more healthy.
0: Now you have uh, set forth some strategies for this great work that you're doing of sharing the gospel and training leaders for the church all around the world. Uh, Proclamation, evangelism, and media outreach. Now would you say especially about that third one, media outreach? There's a lot of uh, talk today about technology, about media, the pros, the cons. Talk about technology and media As a part of the work you were doing in gospel strategizing. Yes.
1: Uh, I was addressing your students and faculty over luncheon today, and I talked about four realities uh, of, of my interpretation of what is happening today. It's just like the Lord Jesus said, you know, you're able to tell the patterns of the weather, but you're not able to analyze what is happening around you. Four realities which inform our strategies. First is the world of people. There are 7.4 billion people in the world. That's a very large number. Uh, Just over a billion minutes have passed from the Lord Jesus till now. Two billion minutes a little over from Moses till now. So we've got to do something that's large and scalable and global. Media provides an opportunity to be simultaneously present across the world in large ways, including this podcast, which is the use of media uh, for it, especially for Christian believers. What we need to do somehow is penetrate the pre-Christian barrier— and so each year, I've had the privilege first on television. Uh, started with Y2K. You remember that mm-hmm. when the whole world was filled with global anxiety and the psychological odometer of the human race being changed. And in an unusual turn of special providence, God opened us the world's largest secular television network out of Hong Kong. They boast a three billion people footprint, with a hundred million people watching every program guaranteed, mm-hmm. and. Half of the world lives within five flying hours of Hong Kong. So each New Year's Day, which is the only global holiday, there is no other global holiday. July 4th is not a global holiday. Somebody (laughs) asked me if you have July 4th in India. I said, we know we go straight from the 3rd to the (laughs) 5th. But uh, uh, New Year's Day is the only global holiday. Um, And and to use G.K. Chesterton's uh, analogy of of, uh, a New Year's, not for the sake of a new year, but a new soul and everything new, We've tried to capture New Year's Day as a way to present, plant seeds for the gospel. Uh, After about eight years of doing that New Year's television special, we decided to go through an internet delivery system. Last year's series was called The Corruptionist. The corruption problem is the number one social problem in the world, but of course, it's rooted in the human heart, which is the access that we have for the gospel. And at the end of last year, I did a series on sexual corruption, which has just had 6 million or 7 million views. And this is an opportunity we have right now to plant seeds for the gospel, start with them and end up with the Lord Jesus. Media also allows us to follow up where we cannot be present and also to introduce them to like-minded people to us in a particular location. We always ask, would you like, as a 17th step in follow-up, would you like somebody Like us, uh, for for a second conversation, third conversation, most people say no, because they want to keep their identities hidden. But some say yes, and we have ways of getting to them. Uh, Media, we have great limitations. I call it climatization more than evangelization. What do you mean by that? Climatization provides the environment for the gospel to be heard, but doesn't necessarily evangelize, per se, to the depth we would like in any evangelism encounter. But sometimes God uses uh, the minus four to the minus three move as good as the minus one to the zero move. And we are willing to count that as part of our success metric.
0: Uh, Some of the things you just mentioned, you're obviously concerned about the whole person, uh, and you have a ministry that reaches out to every dimension of the human dilemma, that Jesus Christ is the reconciler of us with God and of us with one another. Uh, There's a big division in the church, historically in the evangelical church, between what we sometimes call the social gospel – and the more evangelistic gospel, Uh, it seems to me in some ways you are addressing both of those dimensions, but from a very uh, Christocentric point of view. Can you talk about that dilemma if you see it that way, or how would you uh, advise people about that?
1: And then uh, we can add the the coming of the Lord Jesus, which uh, may help us uh, produce further problems in, in if especially if he's coming soon, and and, uh, we can be accused of a whole bunch of things. I usually see it as a continuum uh, in terms of people's calling, in terms of local needs. We go everywhere from simply being somewhere in the name of Jesus. Uh, But the crusaders were there in the name of Jesus. They were not there in the spirit of Jesus, didn't have the message of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So all our social initiatives we want to have covered by the name of Jesus the spirit of Jesus and the message of Jesus. Otherwise, we'll be another NGO, another non-governmental organization who can do this better than we can. So social action, social initiative, social presence, which does not yield somewhat of a platform towards the gospel, towards the Lord Jesus, his name and his spirit and his message, uh, I would not say uh, is specifically part of Christian ministry, but that's where it starts. It gives entrees, it gives relationships, allows for establishment of credibility, it builds rapport, it maintains trust, and also delivers overall value. But needs to lead to evangelism and, and discipleship into a person's lives.
0: I've always liked that statement made by E. Stanley Jones, who was a great missionary to your country of India, from the Methodist tradition, is that a soul without a body is a ghost. A body without a soul is a corpse. God made us united, one person, soul, and body together, and the, the gospel uh, transforms both of those yes. as we submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And it might be
1: a hermeneutical issue as well and a theological reading of, of Christian anthropology that we are whole persons. We are unitary uh, beings, so we address the whole thing. But there's a hierarchy in Scripture as to what our responsibility toward the world is. And a part of the apostolic uh, uh, prime responsibility that we have towards the world mm-hmm. is that people have eternal destinies whose consequences we must reverse and, if and it does this not is live,
0: what jesus told us in the great commission go into the world and proclaim the good news make disciples of yes. all the nations yes uh teaching them to observe everything he commanded so we can't shirk any part of that can we yes and yet we are
1: uh Uh, reaching them where they are into where they should be. Uh, I know that the falsely attributed quote to St. Francis of Assisi, which says, you know, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. One is not probably his words. We do preach the
0: gospel. We use words they are necessary, but we wrap them around deeds. That's the Jesus way, the apostolic way, I think. Now, Dr. Richard, you just led – I think it was – was it last year in Bangkok, uh, Thailand? Uh, you led this great um, international movement, a Global Proclamation Congress for pastoral trainers. Can you describe what that event was like and what came out of it? Yes, Dean George. So I said the world
1: of people is our first uh, aspect of interpreting reality for strategy. The second is the world of the church. Um, there may be you know, up to 5 million congregations, uh, faith communities planted between now and the end of this decade. And up to 70% of them may fail within the first year. And then you add the wonderful news that there are 50,000 new baptized believers every day. I don't want to talk about how many are converted to Christ every day. I don't know. Some say 178,000 and so on. But if there are 50,000 new baptized believers every day, we need 1,000 new pastors every day in order to keep up with congregations of 50. We will never catch up. And so somehow we need to preserve the fruit. We've got to justify the cost. In terms of the world of the Christian faith, there are 2.3 billion self-identified Christians. And that is also a huge opportunity because they're from a normal Christian background, broadly share the same worldview, which may be a little easier to get them across the threshold of salvation. And then, of course, the fourth reality is the world of the pastoral leader. There are 2.2 million pastoral leaders of the world The sad part is only 5% of them are formally trained or trained for pastoral ministry, put it that way, rather than formally trained, which means 95% of them are winging it this week across the world. So we've got to do what we can in order to provide skills and tools and relationships to to whom God has uh, given the responsibility of church leadership, of pastoral care. They're already called, they're already gifted, they're already placed by God between five to ten times the number of cross-cultural missionaries today. So we've got a just strategy. as I was talking to the group of what I call the flipping of the thumbs and not only do what we did always, and the best opportunity we have right now, especially for the West, is the training of the pastoral leader. The one training that can be given, a whole system that can be given, is all on the conviction that the health of the pastor affects the health of the church, and the health of the church affects the health of the communities in which they serve. So to address a matter of pastoral health, We have to go to those who train pastors. They're found in two sectors. They're found in formal pastoral training, like you do at Beeson and at Dallas Seminary, and we got to go to the non-formal training sector because a whole industry has risen as to how to take good training and give it and deliver it on ground, on site. And so we brought, in God's goodness, in a very difficult project. Over 2,500 trainers of pastors from over 100 countries together from both the formal and the non-formal sectors for eight days to address matters of unhealthy pastors, unhealthy churches, unhealthy societies, started on a Wednesday. And then we talked about healthy societies, healthy churches, and healthy pastors. And we wanted, as a result, that every person there commits to an average of 25 pastors a year for the following four years Average meaning some will only do two, some can do two hundred, some can do twenty, some can do two thousand, and we counted it all up. And the Ministry of Reach, our goal is to reduce the deficit of the undertrained, isolated pastors in the world by five percent, for which we need a hundred thousand over a ten-year period. And the Lord has allowed us not only uh, to uh, to count and track it, but the goals that this Congress set by their response. Already we have something like 330,000 that they have planted, uh, planned, not planted, they are planned to train. We have built an 80% attrition rates as well, so we can have a more realistic count. This is a movement, uh, a global proclamation movement. Many people say, why don't you just focus on pastoral training if it does not end up with the Great Commission, the final commission of Christ? It's not worthwhile for me. So we've had coaches, we've had spontaneous initiatives, we've had a formal non-formal conversation which has grown from some of the finest schools across the world saying how can we do institutionally integrate non-formal delivery for our students and our faculty so they can go and address the world need. So we're rejoicing in it. I'd like to invite the uh, the guests or the listeners to the podcast to what may be called a platform website. It's a pipeline to deliver training to pastors, for those of you who are desirous of uh, this whole pastoral training strategy, would you go to GPRO, not GoPro, but Connect, C-O-N-N-E-X-T dot org dot com, whichever one you want to choose. com. you'll find curricular availability, you'll find connections, you'll find opportunities, so that if God has laid this part as part of your Total Approach to God's Ministry in the World Today, GProConnects.com. Otherwise, come to reach.org, R-R-E-A-C-H, for two R's, dot org, and we can connect you uh, to the world.
0: Dr. Richard, I know some people are grabbing for a pencil right now because they're listening to this podcast, maybe on their car. Be careful if you're driving. But give <laughs> us those uh, email contacts, website contacts again. All right. Reach.org, R. E
1: A C H. That's really an acronym, as Dr. George mentioned earlier, reach.org. The other option is for you to go to G Pro, like for global proclamation, G Pro Connect. C-O-N-N-E-X-T, rather than Connect, connect, Because we want to talk about next steps in the uh, in the atmosphere of connection. com. We would love to hear from you, and maybe you have sources and resources that you want to have displayed. There are hundreds of courses available, hundreds of trainings that can be given. And this is an urgent, critical need across the whole world. This may be part of the portfolio of God's use for Beeson, as well as you, the listener.
0: Dr. Richard, you're a great strategist, a great evangelist, uh, a great apologist for the gospel. I'm going to close this podcast in a little different way. just imagine that I'm not Timothy George, an uh, American theologian. That's, so hard. That's very hard. <laughs> <laughs> but speak to me as though I were a person from Asia or Africa or someone who's not a Christian, uh, who's really maybe heard the name of Jesus but doesn't know very much about the gospel. Why should I embrace Christianity and the Christian faith in Jesus Christ?
1: Uh, in terms of the theory of apologetics and evangelism, I Don't address theoretical apologetics questions first, because the questions are different. I actually have recommended what I'm going to call an existential apologetics platform, uh, because of being human is across the world the same, the same yearnings of the human heart. There are six or seven things, the issues of forgiveness and guilt and the afterlife, uh, matters of peace internally. I start there. And ask for evidences of where they are lacking. And almost always, meaning in life uh, comes up. Those are the big, big questions existentially. Not theoretically, does God exist? Are miracles possible? What's the problem of theodicy? And how can it be solved? Did Jesus rise from the dead? Those are good second and third questions, which we must eventually get to if the gospel is to be real. So, for instance, I use the word pre-Christian rather than non-Christian when I refer to individuals, even though I refer to non-Christian religions, non-Christian faith systems, I I refer to people as pre-Christ or pre-Christian. It is not only less pejorative, it is also a bit hopeful that we want them to go across uh, the salvation line. I also would consider them right where they are in what may be called, as as you know, uh, the the grayscale index or or the Harvest Index, I would like to have a different measurement of my pre-evangelistic success. Those with whom we share the same Christian worldview, we can go with the four spiritual laws and some of these other wonderful techniques and tactics from a minus one to a zero. But if I say God loves you, has a plan, or you're a sinner, the meaning of sin and sinner is different. God and God is different. Love and love is even different positively. So we have to start uh, uh, with their worldview, their understanding of the big questions of life, of what may be called origins, the question of identity, which is a huge platform and a bridge-building way of who am I, why am I here, will be the meaning question, then the issue of, of morality and destiny. Those are the sort of four or five entree points I will look for in a person's um, Uh, approach. I was recently in Panama. Uh, A year ago, I'd uh, spoken to about 50 leaders in the country, and about half of them were unbelievers, and another half of them trusted Christ that night. The same 50 brought 300 this last uh, January. And uh, I spoke about stability because of the chaos that they are facing as an existential issue, that they will not have stability on the rock that Jesus gives on which they can build their lives. Everything else is faulty and fake foundations for their lives. So I try to build from there. I'm not treating you as an unbeliever. It's very difficult for me to imagine you as a pre-Christian. So uh, just a general approach that I'd like to pursue. Mm
0: Thank you. My guest today on the Beeson Podcast has been Dr. Ramesh Richard. He is one of the great Christian leaders, I think, today that God has raised up to reach our world with Jesus Christ and his message of redemption. He is the president of… This great global theological engagement and pastoral ministry teaches at Dallas Theological Seminary. He's been with us here at Beeson to give our World Christianity Lectures. Thank you so much for your ministry, for your friendship, and may God continue to bless and prosper you in all that you are doing to reach the world with the good news of Christ. Thank you, sir. It's great joy and an honor, truly, and to be
1: with uh, you and at Beeson. And I wish to see if God will help us change the way one billion individuals think and hear about the Lord Jesus. You've been listening to the Beeson
0: Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, beesondivinity.com.